Hello and welcome to the first of our two-part video summary on the play Dr Faustus by Christopher Marlowe. This is a tragic play and this video is going to summarise not only the context surrounding this play and the author himself, but also the play will be summarised in depth. And this video is important particularly if you are studying this play for your exams or your coursework, you find the material contained within it useful. And do make sure you check out part two of the video where we examine key characters, themes and symbols. Now, when it comes to context of the play, the first is to be aware of the author himself, Christopher Marlowe. He was born and raised during the Elizabethan era and he was influenced by Shakespeare, who was alive at the same time. Shakespeare was his contemporary. However, we also know that he was thought to be an atheist and a homosexual, both of which were taboo at the time. So he went to great lengths to hide this. But a lot of these themes surfaced through his plays and his writing, notably this homosexual aspect surfacing through Edward II, whilst this atheist element surfaces through Dr Faustus. The Elizabethan era is also an important era to be aware of contextually. So this is obviously the time of Queen Elizabeth I's rule. She re-established the Church of England and all had to attend church by law. The first colonisation of the Americas began and exploration of British ships also began really expanding Britain's influence and impact around the world. And this was a time which was um, strong and great for poetry and the arts. They really flourished during this time. Now, when it comes to the play itself, Dr Faustus, it begins with the prologue. The chorus enters and they speak about Faustus, who was born to poor parents and educated in Wittenberg. He earned a doctorate and became famous for his knowledge, theology and necromancy, or black magic. In scene one, we meet Faustus, who reflects on the most rewarding type of scholarship. He first considers logic, but notes that disputing well seems to be the only goal of logic. He then considers medicine and decides that medicine, with its possibility of achieving miraculous cures, is the most fruitful. He then considers law, but dismisses it as too petty, dealing with trivial matters larger, rather than larger ones. He then dismisses religion and fixes his mind on magic, which when properly pursued, he believes will make him a mighty god. So if you remember, in terms of context, Marlowe is really playing around with this atheist belief that he has. He doesn't directly and outwardly show this, but it's hinted within this play. The scene then continues. We find a good angel and an evil angel visit Faustus. The good angel urges him to set aside his book of magic and read the scriptures instead, whilst the evil angel encourages him to move forward in his pursuit of the black arts and his, in, in his ambition. His friend Valdes and Cornelius appear with Wagner, his servant, and they agree to teach Faustus the principles of the dark arts because Faustus remains focused on this. Scene two commences and the two scholars come to see Faustus. Wagner tells them that Faustus is meeting with Valdes and Cornelius and Valdes and Cornelius are infamous for their involvement in the black arts. So the scholars leave, fearing that Faustus may also be falling into that damned art as well. Faustus then tries conjuring. He renounces heaven and God and he swears allegiance to hell. The devil, Mephistopheles, appears before Faustus and Faustus demands his obedience. But Mephistopheles says that he is Lucifer's servant and can obey only Lucifer. 
Faustus then decides to declare that he will offer his soul to Lucifer in return for 24 years of Mephistopheles' service. And thus Mephistopheles agrees to take this offer up to his master and then he departs. This is a pivotal moment and in scene four we find Wagner conversing with a poor clown or beggar and he decides to persuade him to become his servant for seven years. So there's a little bit of mirroring in their journeys. Wagner conjures up two devils who says will carry the clown away to hell unless he becomes Wagner's servant. Seeing the devils, the clown becomes terrified and agrees to Wagner's demands. In scene five, Faustus begins to have second thoughts about selling his soul and the decision that he made. The good angel reappears again and reminds him to abandon his plan. He's still able to seek redemption if he does this in time. However, Faustus dismisses this and says that God does not love him and the evil convinces him, the evil angel convinces him to stop listening to the good angel. Faustus then calls back Mephistopheles, who tells him that Lucifer has accepted his offer. He decides to make the bargain and he stabs his arm in order to write the deed in blood. And when he tries to write this, his blood congeals, making it writing impossible. Faustus wonders if his own blood is attempting to warn him not to sell his soul. However, in spite of this, he still signs the deed and Mephistopheles then gives him a book of magic spells and tells him to read it carefully. In scene six, Lucifer appears and tells Faustus that he's brought some entertainment. The seven deadly sins, pride, covetousness, wrath, envy, gluttony, sloth and lechery all appear before Faustus in the representation of the individual sin on nature. After everyone leaves, Wagner appears and says that Faustus has gone to Rome to see the Pope. In scene seven, uh, Robin, a stable hand, has found one of Faustus's conjuring books and he's trying himself to learn the spells. We find that this is something that is seen as very alluring, not only to Faustus, but even to others in different classes to him. He calls in an innkeeper named Rafe and the two go to a bar together where Robin promises to conjure up any kind of wine that Rafe desires. In the second chorus, Wagner takes the stage and describes how Faustus travelled through the heavens on a chariot pulled by dragons in order to learn the secrets of astronomy. Wagner tells us that Faustus is now travelling to measure the coasts and kingdoms of the world and that his travels will take him to Rome. In scene eight, Mephistopheles tells Faustus that he has arranged to enter the Pope's private chamber and he makes Faustus invisible. Now, when the Pope and a group of friars enter, Faustus plays tricks on them and snatches plates and cups from them. We find that Faustus, having all of this power, decides to use it for very petty ends, which seems a waste from our perspective as the audience. Finally, Faustus uh, hits Pope, the Pope in the air and the friars began to sing a dirge to remove the evil spirits. But Mephistopheles and Faustus began to beat the friars. In scene nine, Robin the ostler or the stable hand and his friend Rafe has stolen a cup from the tavern and they are pursued by a vintner or a winemaker who makes demands that they return the cup. They claim not to have it and then Robin conjures up Mephistopheles who makes the vintner flee. Mephistopheles is very angry to have been summoned for just this silly prank, which is an interesting contrast to the previous prank that he played with Faustus. Somehow that seemed more of a worthy prank. And he threatens Mephistopheles. So Mephistopheles threatens the stable hand and Rafe 
to turn them into an ape and a dog. And the two friends treat what they've done as a joke and Mephistopheles leaves in a fury, saying that he'll go to join Faustus in Turkey. In the third chorus, the chorus informs us that Faustus has now returned home to Germany and developed his fame by explaining what he learned during the course of his journey. The German emperor, Charles V, has heard of Faustus and he invites him to his palace where we next encounter him. We'll find that Faustus is becoming much, uh, is developing even a sense of hubris uh, when it comes to his success that he's finding with his ability to conjure up magic. In scene 10, Emperor Carolus uh, has heard reports of Faustus and asks him to bring Alexander the Great and Alexandra's paramour back to life. At Faustus's request, Mephistopheles leaves and returns with two spirits in the shape of Alexander and his paramour. The emperor then thanks Faustus for the conjurations and promises to reward him bounteously. So Faustus is getting a lot of earthly rewards. In scene 11, a horse Corsera enters and wants to know if Faustus will sell his horse. Faustus willingly agrees to do this, but he warns the Corsera that he must never ride the horse into water. Faustus then falls asleep and the horse Corsero returns. He thought the horse had some magical quality, so he proceeded to ride the animal into a pond. However, the horse turned into a pile of hay. The horse Corsero pulls on Faustus's leg to awaken him and he's astounded when Faustus's entire leg falls off. In scene 12, we find Robin and Rafe again and they've stopped for a drink in a tavern. The listeners, a carter or wagon driver and the horse Corsero discuss Faustus. The carter explains that Faustus stopped him on the road and asked to buy some hay to eat. The carter agreed to sell him all he could eat for three farthings and Faustus proceeded to eat the entire wagon load of hay. He's now doing things that are going against nature. The horse Corsera tells his own story, adding that he took Faustus's leg as revenge and he's keeping it at home. In scene 13, we're then taken to the court of Duke of, Vandal Hol of Van Holt, and Faustus asks the Duchess if she has a desire for any special dainties. And although it's January, she desires to have a dish of ripe grapes. So Faustus sends Mephistopheles after them and he goes to India to reclaim them. The Duchess is really impressed and she exclaims that these grapes are the best that she's ever tasted. The Duke promises Faustus that he will reward him greatly for this favour. In scene 14, Wagner enters with the news that Faustus is soon to die and he's given all his goods and properties to his servants. Faustus enters with scholars discussing who are um, discussing Helen of Troy and he promises to raise her from the dead and let the scholars see her in all her pomp and majesty. The music sounds and Helen passes across the stage and we do indeed see her beauty. He then tells Mephistopheles that he desires Helen for his own self, for his love. And now in scene 14, the time has come for Faustus. The time has elapsed and the clock has struck 11. And Faustus realises that he only has one hour left before eternal damnation, before his soul is taken over by Lucifer. As the clock strikes half past 11, he pleads that his doom to not be everlasting. And when it strikes 12, he cries out for God to not look so fiercely upon him. Thunder and lightning flash across the stage and the devils arrive to take him away. So that's all. If you found this video useful, do subscribe and give us a thumbs up. But also don't forget to visit www.firstratetutors because there are very detailed revision sheets which you can use, especially also cheat sheets and model 
essay answers when it comes to writing essays and answers relating to Faustus. Thank you so much for listening.